piece of advice I have for someone trying to succeed in the film industry or any creative space is if you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're doing it wrong. Welcome to Around the Craft Table, a podcast by film students about movies, making movies, and other stuff. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. I'm Miles, and today I'm joined by my friends Miranda. Hey. Jermel. Hello. And a very special guest, Adam. Hey, how's it going? Today we've got something pretty special for you. We're going to do a post-mortem about Miranda's recently completed film. Uh, the replacements. So take us through the general plot, Miranda. So we just wrapped shooting a couple weeks ago on my short film, The Replacement. And it follows a character named Matthew, who's kind of, um, he's kind of, uh, around his late 30s, early 40s. And he has a wife named Kate. And at the beginning of the film, he wakes up from an eye surgery. And basically, all he wants to do is go home to his wife but along the way, he keeps running into obstacles and things seem to be a little bit strange. Um, and uh, in the end, it's kind of like the world isn't what he thought it was and reality isn't what he thought it was. And it's a, it's a science fiction movie. And um, I don't know, we were experimenting like as a team a lot with like new ways of uh, achieving visual effects um, through like costumes, but also we're going to do some in post and... I don't know. It was it was a cool film to work on with with some cool friends, and um, I'm sure I can elaborate more about the plot and and about the shooting process as we kind of go further into it. But that's generally like the the gist of the story without like adding any spoilers. Sweet. So Miranda, um, we know we know you directed, but why don't you, Jermel, and you, Adam, go through and talk a little bit about the role you guys played in the film. Okay, well, I was I filled the role of uh, assistant director. I did miss uh, one day. I missed I missed the first day, but I was there for both the overnight shoots and uh, the other shoot back at uh, her uh, Miranda's place. And where else did we film that day? Uh, it all kind of blends together at this point, doesn't it? Well, we filmed it a couple houses, and then we did film at the tallest poppy on Sherbrooke. And for, for two overnight shoots on two Sunday nights. Oh, yeah. We did the, the classic uh, all the way overnight, like getting home at like six in the morning and still needing to be places the next day. R.I.P. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's rough. That's that's always rough. But it was it was a good time. Uh, a lot of good work went into it. Uh, it was definitely a new position for me. Normally uh, on my own shoots, just sort of the, the director does a lot of the uh, managing as well as dealing with the actor. So it was definitely a learning process of being less within the creative role because that was all left up to the director, Miranda, and more so to the managing. Definitely something that I still need to work on quite a bit, but overall, like a pretty good experience. I'm pretty happy with how it, like, how it turned out from what I got to see. Yeah. Adam was like the organized person um, and would like yell at people because I have a hard time yelling because my voice is like not very loud. So whenever I needed someone to shut up, Adam would yell at them for me. <laughs> nice. Well, that's that's essentially the key cornerstone of being an AD is, is commanding the set. Keeping people on time and telling people to shut the fuck up. Ex exactly. Yeah, also... Just trying to make sure that you answer all the, the general, like, whatever questions, unless it's absolutely needed to be, like, okayed by Miranda, or the the director in that case, which, uh, once, once, the, like, once we got into a groove, everything really started to come together, especially on that last day, and, yeah, it was good. And, uh, so, Jermel was, uh, my script supervisor. Jermel, what is that? Tell us. Well, essentially, the main sort of role is, it's pretty self-explanatory, I guess, in that title, but you are in charge of keeping track of, that, of the script uh, in terms of continuity, in terms of where you are. If an actor calls for line, you go, this is a line. Although, I'll be honest, uh, it's my first time doing this role ever, so I wasn't always on top of that specific part. Whenever the actors would ask for a line, I'd be like, uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> so... So that was definitely a bit of an issue on my end, uh, but I was learning. Um, 
And the other thing was I uh, kept track of the shots that were used for certain parts of the script. So, you know, let's, let's say there's like a part where X character does this action in a close-up, and it was take two. I keep track of that. But for some reason in that take, even though the take was good, the audio, you know, you could hear somebody flushing the toilet upstairs, which actually happened a few times. So I had to make make a note of that. Yeah, or someone in the casino ne- next door was hitting the machine. Yes. Oh, yes. At one point, there was a guy that started yelling and hitting the VLT machine because they were angry. So I had to write down man yelling oh, in yeah. background. <laughs> anyway, so that was that was the primary role that I did on set. How did you find that versus other roles that you've usually played on a set? Uh, I like it because I get to, you know, be up close and personal with, like, the creative side. But I, I, I get to be more of a, you know, somebody who is pretty essential. But at the same time, it's not physically taxing. Yeah. Yeah, it's not as grueling. Because sets are grueling because you have long hours. And if you also have to be somebody that needs to physically be up and about all the time, it's going to make it two times worse than it is. So I liked it. Totally. Um, Adam, what about you? How did you find being a first AD beyond the, you know, the rigors of getting into the groove? Uh, I would always like prefer to be on some sort of creative side of things, but definitely uh, acknowledging that managing and being making sure that your time is coming in and that things are organized and you know allowing the proper space for people who are in control to be able to do their job to like the max is definitely an important skill that uh, I am hoping to develop more plus Miranda was my AD on my shoot back in November so it was sort of like a repay yeah you know just just keep doing favors uh, our the, the the little independent scene we got here is based off of favors anyways right I think what I found was really valuable on this set experience um, versus like my previous films that I've done in the past is like actually having everybody in a role that's really specific and like intentional. Like you might not be doing something all the time, for example, but like your role is valued and you're doing something that's that's important to the process and that's going to pay off at some point, whether that's at the beginning end or in the middle or at the end so having all those elements to the crew was really cool for me Um, and I like really appreciate everybody that was a part of it and I I don't know I just you can tell when you watch the footage back and I'm going through posts now uh how much like talent and passion was behind the project and I just I appreciate that so much and I'm very excited for people to see it Nice. I'm excited to see it as well. Um, so having said that, why don't you take us a little bit through the development and uh, conception of the idea and talk about how you came up with the idea and how you approached writing it. Well, I wrote the first draft to the replacement in like February of last year. So probably February 2017. Wow. And it's gone through over seven variations of like plot. And it's the, I think it's like the sixth or seventh draft of this version. So it, I mean, I kind of pursued this project mostly as a proof of concept short. I I would like to do a feature or a a longer version of this, this world, this story. But it's kind of uh, just something that I wanted to just see if I could even do this, really. Um, you know, put put a bit of money that I have behind it and see if I can actually pull it off. And uh, then at that point, maybe take it to the next step. And if people like it, see how see where we can go with it or whatever. But um, that's why, like, there were so many versions because it was I was trying to make it so much more bigger, so much bigger than I think it it could ever be at this scale. And so kind of going through the draft process and really realizing that um, was really helpful for me to like realize like how simple it needs to be to be what it is right now. Um, But in a way that's good because I think this is the most accessible version of the script that I've ever 
conceived and um Jermel helped me a lot in that process of writing it and kind of bringing it to the place where it was um at the shooting draft so so yeah nice was there anything that uh pivotal that carried over from version to version or is this version pretty wholesale a new version of the script the story was always about um matthew looking for his wife that always stayed consistent but what was added was the character of um novia who's played by sydney sabiston well she's one of the replacements basically they're these yellow-eyed human-like people the only real physical difference is their eye color um they speak without like conjunctions and stuff like that so they seem a little bit more like they lack a bit more emotion but her character's a bit different she kind of she's kind of looking for something more um more purpose in her life and um she's definitely a character that i would like to explore more in like future future stories in the world right on um uh, what would you say uh either you miranda or jamel since the two of you wrote it what would you guys say was like the toughest thing about writing a script like this for the con- constraints that you had given that this is a um class project i guess the most difficult thing was for me personally was it this isn't necessarily like my personal vision this is miranda's vision that i was just kind of brought in to um tweak and polish um and i guess that's where the biggest challenge was was trying not to make it too like too much of a me um story or me movie you know something that i would make and more of just okay this is what is needed and these are my thoughts and i think you should change it this way you should add this or you should remove this but um yeah at the end of the day obviously like she had the final choice but yeah that would be i guess that would be the main sort of challenge is just trying to help it in a way without overstepping my the role that i was given and I think for me, my biggest challenge with the script was probably trying to downgrade my ideas so that it was actually achievable with a micro-budget kind of thing. Because I know that like it was originally, um, and also keeping in time in, in into account as well that I have to complete it by a certain time because it is for you know our university and we can only shoot in this month right and there's snow everywhere so my first draft did feature like this large um rural field scene where there was like executions of like synths and there was like a whole bunch of like despair and shit and it was a good scene but it was just like impossible to shoot in february so that was something that we had to change um yeah, I I really like that scene. I remember talking about that scene. I'm like, oh, it's really good. Honestly, I feel like <clears throat> if you ever make a longer version, I think we should have that. Yeah, there there were a lot of good scenes that, unfortunately, were were changed. But I mean, I do I do really like this version. I think that it's self-contained. I think it works. But um, yeah, there's definitely like a lot of scenes that, you know, hit the cutting room floor as as it were in the script stage. Yeah, I I uh, have pretty vivid memories of making those tough choices doing class films as well they're not they're not always fun but the the flip side of that question then that i have for you guys is were there advantages to being constrained the way you were by the class did you did you um was anything made easier for you guys in the writing and development stages by the constraints you had i guess in a way i kind of i don't know if this is actually because of the class but I guess in a way, I sort of um, saw something about the world that we were building in the script that I didn't originally see. Originally, I sort of saw it happening in the fall or like kind of like late summer, August, September kind of season. But as we went through drafts, we realized how cold and desolate this world is going to become. And because of going through those drafts and 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 visualizing it in that month of February and March or whatever, you sort of start to, you know, change your world into something that you weren't expecting it would be, but you actually quite liked. Like I, like I actually quite like that that it, it takes place in the winter and that you have this like very cold, like empty, dark world, um, that these characters are 
you know, moving through and living in. And it just sort of adds to their lack of, um, their lack of hope and just like the overarching despair. Interesting. And when you look at, when you look at the script, um, do you, it's interesting that you mention hope and despair so frequently. How do you, I guess this is open to all three of you, really, how do you guys view the story? Is it a story of despair? Is it a story of hope? Is it a story of both? Is it a story of neither? I would say that it is a story of of hope. Definitely, yes, I would say that. It applies to both the character of Matthew and, you know, uh, and to Novia as well, to... In what way, I probably shouldn't say because it'll kind of spoil the uh, the short. But yes, there's a big sense of like hope uh, between the two main characters. They're all they're both sort of hoping for something. That that certain something. Yeah, an X thing um, plays a big part. Yeah, uh, Miranda, Adam, do either of you want to chime in on that in that regard? Uh, I would say that in many ways the uh, connection that they have together was probably my favorite part just and also like the behind the scenes uh like relationship between the two actors and seeing how the the two of them gave their performances i don't know i don't i can't really add too much to the writing i did not do any of the writing so i can only really speak to what happened on set fair enough and uh just what I what what I'm ex- or what I have experienced because I think the draft that I was sent as like a hey what do you think of this was like many like many drafts ago and it definitely changed from what I remember it being originally but then also I had like had to reread the original one quite often or like the one that we used for shooting quite a lot so the they've sort of blended together yeah that's neat that you mentioned that Adam because I I think Jason and Sydney. Um, Jason Salamendic playing uh, Matthew and Sydney playing Novia. I think they definitely um, did build like a nice little rapport by the end of the shooting process. Like something that, um, you know, what they, I mean, they're not their characters, but I think that they, they kind of understood like the way that their characters do relate to each other. Because I, I mean, I know, you know, one's a female and one's a male, but I never wanted that connection to seem like anything, but we're both, having the same struggle with realizing our humanity and relating on that level of not really knowing if who you are is what's honest and true, but hoping that you are who you think you are inside. And that's literally the grounds at which that they connect with each other. They realize the human in each other, which I think is a really basic thing, but also a very human thing that I think a lot of people don't don't see in each other a lot in this world so I think that was something that I tried to I tried to emulate in the script is you know there's a lot of judgment and racism and you know cruelty in the script and I think that them having that connection her presenting as you know something that was created in a lab and him presenting as human and them being able to connect on something just as basic as being human is telling of some issues today that we're experiencing now, unfortunately, as well. It's interesting, Miranda, that you mentioned to me, like, uh, I've been using the word interesting a lot. It's neat. It's nifty that you're mentioning. <laughs> it's nifty. It's nifty that you mentioned the the uh, human connection, because it leads to my next question, um, f- from a, which is from a writing standpoint, would you consider this to be a character piece a world building piece or somewhere in the middle it's definitely world building and character less so plot yeah that's what i was gonna say i was gonna say the plot isn't the thing that will make you keep watching i think it is the world and the character yeah it is it's there's less yeah there's less about like things that happen in the film definitely more of um trying to see how this uh character moves through this world I think it's just kind of like a little self-contained journey to another place. So like, a, would you would you say then a bit of escapism? I'm open to that interpretation. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm kind of, yeah, I th- it's very much a character piece and the world is cool. And I think the plot is like 
a decent plot, but it's not doing anything that anyone else hasn't done. Like, the plot is accessible, I, I think, I think, and I think it's more about the character. Is there something in particular that you would like the audiences to maybe try and come away with that they might not have been considering before watching the film? Yeah, I think what I kind of want people to come away from the movie feeling is that, um, to go on a little bit of a tangent here, like, when you're creating, you're putting yourself out there really far to be judged, right? And you're kind of like, here's all my ideas, and, you know, hopefully people like them, but sometimes they don't, and sometimes they do, and, and, and you don't really know what's going to happen, right? Um, and as filmmakers and as writers especially, I think we always kind of judge ourselves with this really harsh lens, and we think, oh, I'm just like everybody else, like, I don't have anything that's really special about me that makes me stand out. Um, and we can often get in our head that way and we don't think we're anything special or, you know, we're not going to be that one in a million or whatever, whatever, you know, um, it sounds cliche, but it's kind of true. Um, but I think kind of what I want people to walk away from with this food film. And I think people understand when they see the end is that no matter how many people are exactly like you, no one is exactly gonna have your voice and and your individual like profound thoughts and um we are all like individuals and we all have you know meaning and worth and i think that's kind of the message cool that's a that's a fantastic message and it looks like it's gonna be conveyed through a really interesting story um i guess we'll just head into intermission right now but before we do Adam's got a li little trivia question that you're going to get the answer to on the other side of the break. Go ahead, Adam. We have a little ad break questionarium. Today's question is, why are manhole covers round? Ooh, that's a toughie. Find out after the break. Stick around. I uh, just wanted to take a few seconds to let you guys know that this space will eventually be used for some ads. At this point, there are no ads, but they will be coming soon. And our ads will be relevant to our material and stuff like that too. But um, for now, please enjoy the lo-fi music and uh, and you can always skip to, to the end of the ad. The, the time things will be in the description if you, uh, if, if you feel so inclined. And that wide band of fairly heavy snow is now what will happen each time that you see the frontal system on there. That begins at 6 o'clock in the morning, and then you'll see the cloud pattern move until 2 o'clock this afternoon. So as of that time, of course, the front was way off in the northwest. Now, however, it's moving into the central part of the nation with a couple of high-pressure sex cells behind it. Okay, and we're back from intermission, and here's the answer to Adam's trivia question. They're designed to be round so that they cannot fall into the hole. Oh On that note, we're going to transition from uh, development of the story to the um, shooting days. Uh, so just take us through the, I guess, the beginning of your process, Miranda, and how, uh, what the start of the what the start of the shooting process was like well i guess i kind of started putting my production package together which we did like you know like a shot list 
script breakdowns. We did uh, like paragraphs about the synopsis, mood and cinematography, the style, all that kind of thing. And then um, uh, going through, and uh, then we kind of like set up some cast casting calls. We had auditions. And that's how I met a lot of the actors that are in the film, actually, uh, through the audition process. Um, only two of them I, I knew before that were in the show. And um, the auditions went really well. And that's actually where we found our lead actor, Jason. It was really cool to go through the audition process again. I hadn't done it for, like, several years. I did it probably in, like, 2015, I think, last. We went through... Uh, just pre-production and getting all the crew on board. I had to go through Actra to get some like actor uh, insurance. And we had an insurance for the locations. And we had to pay for things. And then we bought a bunch of costumes and set pieces. And yeah. So yeah, that was all like organizational part. And then we actually got to like put it all together. And then it kind of all fell together in the end. And we made a movie. That was cool. With the production package stuff, was it the first time you'd ever done something like that uh yeah pretty much do you found that it helped you helped you with the with the like the audition process or for example or the writing process or even the principal photography stage when you were shooting it you know if i was talking to jesse for example about a shot and i was you know having trouble explaining it or whatever um i could always pull up like a, um, a visual reference of something that I was thinking of back when I was in prep and so I could always talk to him about that kind of thing um and then also having just like all of my blocking diagrams that I'd done because I did do like camera positions and light positions ahead of time so we always had that and like Adam was in charge of those documents so then whenever lights or camera had questions they would go to Adam and Adam would like tell them where I where I had wanted to do the coverage from um so Miranda with um the audition process did you approach it differently than you would have, uh, say, the last time you did it? Um, not really. Uh, people just emailed me, and they were like, I'm interested in auditioning. And then I slotted them in for an audition, and then they came to the audition space, and then they did their audition, and then we taped them, and then I deliberated for a couple days, and then I just emailed them. It's pretty standard. Um... I kind of, I, I didn't uh, slot people in based on, like, if I thought they were potential just based on their resume a headshot. I kind of just wanted to see everybody, so I just brought everybody that sent in an inquiry in, um, unless unless they couldn't make it, of course, and then they kind of just, they either didn't show up or they sent a self-tape in, so. Nice. Which part did you have them read? Um, oh yeah, what scenes? Um, for, so f- we auditioned for Roseanne, the the uh the therapist like the she's the first character that you kind of see in the film um aside from our protagonist and she's like working for this um clinic which is kind of like it's very much like a hospital atrium type set that we kind of did um and uh well we found gina through that audition who plays roseanne but um we saw like a very wide age range for that role because um, I wasn't quite sure if I wanted that role to be um, you know around our age or older or I was very open to interpretation because I literally didn't really know what I wanted in terms of that character um, so it was nice to see like a whole bunch of variety there um, and then she read obviously her long scene and then for for uh for Matthew's auditions, I had him read two scenes. I had him read the clinic scene with Roseanne at the beginning of the film, and then also a conversation with Novia. And then we also auditioned for Teddy, the guy who yells at um, the Android servers in this one scene. And I had him read his angry lines. That's not the same gentleman punching the slot machine, correct? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, he would have been a shoe in though. Yeah, Couldn't I would have cast that guy hands down if he'd come in they'd like you're perfect you're so angry at everything nice <laughs> um and then we auditioned also for our our um our replacements so the servers at the cafe and some other people so we like wanted to see how people see people's physicality and stuff okay um 
shifting gears a little bit to the uh, more of the prep side, I guess, how uh, and when did you know who you wanted in the in the particular positions on your crew? Like, how did you go about choosing um, Adam to be your first AD and Eston as your second AD and the other various positions on the crew? Was that a difficult thing, or did you kind of know from the moment you got out of the gate who you wanted and where you wanted them to fall? Well, there were a lot of people I knew I wanted in specific roles for sure, like um, our friend Jesse for like being a camera operator and this the just the director of the cinematography and the vision for the visual style of the movie and like Jesse and Brandon and Mitch. Uh, Brennan and Mitch being like our key lighting crew and then we had um, Will and Eric as like lamp lamp ops so they were like assisting the creative lighting crew um, they all work really well together so I really trusted that they would pull through um, and then I had my friend Jenny doing makeup and uh, just like a, like aesthetic design um, working closely with um, our friend Alex, uh, Tom and um and Marita, who does hair styling. So just having everybody working together too on that that end was uh, I, I kind of knew what I wanted there. Um, and then people just kind of came into the project uh, as you know from that point on. And I knew I wanted Jermel and Adam as a part of the project. And for a little while, there was a variation of roles happening where Jermel was originally first AD, and then someone else took over first AD, and then they t- said they couldn't do it, and then. You should tell that story. That's a pretty good story. Yeah. Well, so yeah, Jermel was going to be my first AD. Um, and then um, Jermel uh, was mentioning how he'd rather be in a creative role. And so I thought script supervisor was good for him because uh, he really likes writing and he's a writer. Um, and he wanted to like work more with continuity and like organizing that end of things and being like working closely with me uh, in terms of the story. So I thought that was a good role for him. Um so that's what happened there. And then um, our producer, Charles, um, he was going to be first AD. Um, but then he also, like, when he talked with um, our prof, Andrew, about it, um, Andrew, I think, said that he'd rather Charles help me in the producing side because there was no one else really doing that. And so um, Charles told me that he would only be able to do one role. So then he was producer. And then I reached out to Adam, who was originally in the camera department. I was like, Adam, do, can you can you do the first AD role? And Adam was like, yeah, sure. And then that's what Adam ended up doing. Man, you made that sound so nice. It was just like, I remember getting the text where you were like, oh my God, we didn't know who to think of. And then Jamel was like, oh, what about Adam? So very much, very much the tertiary pick, but I mean, happy to place, happy to be as here. As soon as Jamel said, what about Adam? I was like, Wow, why didn't I think of that in the first place? Because Adam's like a very good presence and he's a very good support system. And I found having Adam there was very comforting for me because I could go to him and be like, I'm stressing. And he'd be like, let's talk about it and we deal with it. So it was good. I find that's always having been uh, both the director and the first AD on multiple occasions. Um, as director, I love when I can go to my first AD and go, I'm stressed, hug me, and they hug me. It's it's like, it's perfect. Um, I know, right? Adam, how did you find uh, the stress of, of, of the position? Because it can be a pretty stressful uh, role having to manage an entire set, essentially. Uh, initially... Uh, it, it's just a lot different than to what I would normally do. Like even within my own set, I very much like give the trust to the people that I trust with. Cause like, uh, art like w- in the case for me, like my small group with Jesse and Jermel, like we just usually wear all the hats on our projects and just, you know, you're trusted to do your job and it, and it does work quite well, but definitely in a bigger setting like this, uh, it was a big difference to handle. Though, I, I love being on set, besides, like, some of the little, like, unhealthy habits, like, the poor eating and uh, the constant snacking, uh, I don't find it too stressful, it, it and a lot of the stuff was already pretty much laid out, like, I was lucky enough to get a lot of stuff from both Charles and Estin and Miranda, so it was just, 
just kind of figuring out how to be within the role initially and then once within the role just making sure that you stayed doing the role and there was a little bit hectic that first night but like with most shoots you know there are those moments where you're in crisis mode and then all of a sudden you know you're good and then you're back in crisis mode so ah crisis mode we know it well don't we adam <laughs> yes it's a that's a great great subtle reference you know I found there were times too, Adam, where we like fell really behind schedule and then somehow we'd end at an okay point, like at the end of the day, but like we'd be racing the clock like halfway through the day. We'd be like, oh my God, we're like two hours behind and then somehow we'd end up like on time. That's how it normally goes, hey? Like it just, it's just so wild. Yeah, because you start, you kind of just start shaving things off. And you, you, you sort of do it uh, at least... Um, in my experience, it's, you sort of do it subconsciously. You're, yeah. It's not even, um, and for those of you going through film school, it's n- we're not talking about necessarily um, cutting corners. It's just you sort of find moments and spaces where instead of getting four shots, you can only do it in two. Or instead of doing those four shots in four takes, you do them in two takes. It's just It's all about um, finding new ways for the crew and the cast to gel. I think, anyway, and become uh, more efficient. Totally. And, and there were times, too, where we got in over our heads as well, when someone was like, let's do this. And then we try it, and it's like, oh, man, now we're, like, 15 minutes behind, and now we have to kind of make up for that. But then I find as soon as something like that happens, everyone just, like, jumps on the one, you know, trajectory, and we all just kind of, like, power through the next part and then we end up back on time and it's it's great it it feels really good when you're all working together and like as a director I tend to really zero in on characters and and really build them up and I I find on previous shorts I've done it it's hard to do that when you're worrying about every nook and cranny especially if you're producing directing and also doing other things on your own movie um it can be it can be hard to, to to see um the forest for the trees, I guess. Absolutely. And uh, just, I guess, that's a, that's a really good pro tip, I guess, we could give to future film students who might hear this. If you if you happen to find a crew of people that you work well with, uh, hold on to them. Use them. Hold on to them for dear. Get a producer. <laughs> yeah, I was going to... I was going to say that definitely working so closely with Jesse, it was really easy to cut out things that maybe you didn't need because he was very confident in that you could still tell a very compelling story with what you had and that it wasn't like exactly getting something would be a little unnecessary because you got it with something else. And he's always very good with stuff like that. Like he's always on top of what, what like not only just, you know, pressing record and making sure he get, captures the stuff, just knowing Pressing what... record, you know. Making sure the lens cap is <laughs> off. Yes, that's that's a good thing. and uh, But to give him praise, he does keep a very good uh, idea mentally of, like, what, what has been captured and making sure that you, when you hit that editing suite, that you're that's not... That's a uh, huge thing. Uh, yeah, you're not short or there's a there's a big hole. Like, he's he's quite good at making sure... Right, plug in your holes, let's put it that way. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to hand it to you, Jesse, if you're listening to this. This has been the easiest editing experience I've ever had. So thank you, and thank you, Ryan, for the great sound. Well, that's good to hear, and I think that's that's the other important... This is our third tip of the day. Uh, it's important to just make sure that, like... Um, you have a crew that, that that is comfortable enough to sometimes make a better decision than you might have made as director. And it's important that you're open enough as a director to see when somebody else might be making a better choice than you originally wanted to make and sort of let that happen. But it can also be... Um, not to say that it happened in this case, but the reverse can happen where you can be too open sometimes, I think, and you and you lose, you sort of lose your, your grip as director on the story you want to tell. And it's important to remember that um, at the end of the day, it is your story, you know, and you are ultimately responsible for telling it the way you want it to be told. 
So there's something to be said for both sides of that coin. To your point, to your point of the sacrifices, um, what would you rather, a big crew or a small crew? I think that's what I really liked about this um, set. Speaking of like you know production management and stuff like that, uh, that's something that I've never really had in any of our sets. Somebody who's like an organizer of everything and handles logistics. It's good to have. And uh, it's very helpful because it, it lets the director focus on um, the actor's performance and blocking. Because you have all these people that are taking care of um, all the other things. And I feel like that helps at the end of the day because then there's less things on your plate. Yeah, and, and you, Jermel, or Mr., uh, like, you, you really don't like the the whole the full plate, right? Like, that's, like, your least favorite. It's one of the reasons why you really don't like set, right? Yeah. It does get a little crazy, and under the time crunch, it gets a little rough. So just having something to, you know, direct you through, uh, like, like to use your analogy earlier, Miranda, like the seeing through the tree so you can get to the forest and getting out of the forest especially. Did you guys feel like, um, this might be like a weird, like a cliche thing to ask, but did you guys feel like you experienced anything new on this set that you hadn't experienced before? Like, I'm curious... I, I would say that uh, just rolling with the bigger crew that the or the the more organized you were and the more it was clear that people knew what what they needed to do and where they needed to be uh, really made the ship go a lot better being so like like student and moving like moving from student to indie like obviously having enough like able bodies and bodies that you trust and like that you that can do things for you is like just so invaluable and uh not having to wear like 80 different hats and be responsible for everything and is just just like it's just nice to be like to be working with a team and and to have that sort of like clockwork style like each each cog is doing jobs for you and helping you and that that I think was was the the nicest experience like getting to see the the positive of of a big team because uh i've been in other sets where having a big team really was hurting uh the production because it was just a little crazy and they're having so many people wearing multiple hats like when something fell apart it was usually because or like one other hat was being focused on more than another and it just because there wasn't that person to be there specifically doing that job it it something had happened and it fell apart that would be mine. And I think also, too, like, having those people that are sort of not always working on one specific thing, but are sort of liaisons between departments is something that was really invaluable as well. Because if I was kind of focusing on one thing and having a conversation, I knew that I still had an AD, uh, whether that was you, Adam, or, or Esten, or even Jack that one day, um, just making sure that stuff is still running on schedule or if it's not figuring out why and if they can help in any way yeah also just having someone to be like to point at their clock and be like hey like just so that that you know someone's on watching the clock and making sure that like keeping track of when your first shot was and you know when the scene was wrapped just so you have a good understanding of just what's going on and and where the time is but do you guys feel like it would have been the same experience had we had a different sized crew um maybe like if it was you know because on on the average day we had like 10 to 15 crew members so what would have been like if we had let's say five yeah you wouldn't have gotten everything that you wanted you would have been a little unhappy with yeah definitely uh, i think the lack of stuff even with all those people, we still had to sacrifice things. So yes, yeah. If you had less people, you would have to sacrifice more things. Yeah. Because then, the less people you have, the less people there are to handle things. Uh, obviously, there is. I think we had a good happy medium. If it is too big, then it'll get a little chaotic to the point where it's hard to control everybody because there's too many people all at once. Um, but with the amount that we had, especially for the diner. Um, yeah, where we had like a solid like fifteen people, I think that was a that was a good um, amount. That's always good to hear the truths go well. Was there a best moment on set for you, 
And conversely, was there a worst moment on set for you? Definitely, uh, there was the one scene where it was between Novia and Matthew, and it was the the, uh, scene where Jermel ended up ruining it a little bit after uh, because of him making a meme out of it, but just the getting to experience the raw emotion of, uh, and just seeing like her, like her vision coming through, uh, was just really nice to see. And, and I, I guess like part of the magic of being, of having auditions is that you get to see the moment where they become that character. And, uh, I definitely got that experience watching uh jason perform that part and then having it immediately ruined by jamel doing the borat my wife line nice nice Jermel. so uh it was really good because i had this this like extreme like oh my god that's so emotional and then jamel just making a meme out of it and then it just losing all meaning <laughs> after <laughs> probably my favorite moment on set yeah it was a good it was a good one <laughs> so would you say is the uh your worst part adam uh, worst would be just when we when we were supposed to try we were trying to do a camera pass. Oh. Uh, from yep. we had we had Jesse's uh, uh, Ronan and and uh, he was like he was acting as like the main camera operator and so having to pass the Ronin and having it like like it just ate up so much time. And uh, it was just frustrating for everyone, like, and it and it really sort of like, like that third day, it was the big sort of albatross that everyone sort of had to get over. But it it did end up becoming a good thing because we did really rally together afterwards to get things done, and we we were able to really get everything that we wanted done, and even end, uh, I guess not too late, but we we were late because of that, uh, it, like trying to get something cool and just having it not work because we didn't have the resources available and that it was just hard because you you wanted to step in and you wanted to be like hey we don't need this but you know like everyone's working so hard but you're just you're just watching the clock like bleed time and that that was tough and definitely uh having to be more assertive and just also seeing Miranda reacting to it and slowly going insane uh. <laughs> as it was happening was uh it was a bit tough yeah i think I think that was also my least favorite moment was that shot because I, I remember Jesse coming over to me and he was like, he was like, hey, I have this really cool shot idea. And I was like, yeah, that sounds really cool. Like, I want to see what that looks like. Um, and then like Adam says, watching the clock tick. And I, I knew that the guys could see like exactly how they wanted to do it and exactly what they were thinking. But it just like, yeah, I think it was just the resources and the time and like even the space too and the blocking, like it just wasn't going to work because it wasn't part of our shot list. And so in the end... um we just decided as a team, like, all right, we're going to just scrap this and we're behind, but fuck it. And then we just kind of powered through the rest of the scene and it ended up being covered well. We were trying to reach a little bit like uh, people were kind of being a little bit more liberal with the with what we had set up and what we agreed, like what had agreed to be set up and kind of deviating from uh, like our our plans and then just how how much time that ate up so it was just a a good exercise to really like be organized and to like if it is something that you want to get that uh it's not too too different towards our uh the plans because if if you have to do another complete setup like there goes 40 minutes easy oh so there's this little moment um i'm not like i literally like i'm not pointing fingers to anybody because i don't I don't think it was anybody's fault actually. It just it just kind of sucked that it fell on my lap kind of thing. Was when I had to drive back to your house to grab Jesse's charger for the battery. Cuz um I don't know, we left your house and then we went to the location and then oh that was such a like such a bonehead thing. It was just like I told him, he told me to like move it elsewhere and then like I never thought to like let him know like where the batteries were after. So, uh, it was just dumb. Oh, it was you. No, I am pointing fingers. So it's Adam's fault. <laughs> I was kidding. <laughs> yeah, it was me. But it, cause it was, it was, he asked me to move it. And then I told him that I moved it and he's like, oh, okay. And then like, that was it. 
it just never like it never was followed up on. I don't know if he ever asked me where it was. It was just a dumb. Yeah, because then because I because I went into set, I got to this location, and it was like yeah, blah blah, blah the, the the thing's gone. So I'm like, all right. So someone going back for it, and then no one really answered me. So then I asked Jesse, hey, did you like did you like did you want to go back to edit with me? And he's like, no, I'm not getting it. It's not my responsibility. So I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> So I just kind of, I took Miranda's keys in and I just was like, I fuck, I was like, fuck, I'll take, I'll just do it. No point of making somebody else do it. So that was kind of shitty because I was just like, I wanted to get ready, like have my, uh, my script supervisor shit prepped. Then I had to drive back. Best thing that happened, it was just nice to work with everybody. That's probably my favorite part of every set is there's always a, a handful of people that are new that I've never worked with before that I know that i get to know so your circle of like filmmaker network i guess you could say uh gets a little bit bigger yes each time like i've never worked with mitch before i've never worked with um uh alex for thomas or jessica the dancer or tila or jason i've never worked with any of those people before uh but it's great that's good to hear um i guess final question is we I guess we can wrap on time, um, it seems. Uh, do you have any final, like, thoughts about th- the production being done? Is there is there anything you wish that you could have done, um, are glad you didn't do? Or, and, I guess, wouldn't or would do the next time around you were to either approach the larger form version of this story, as you mentioned, you wanted to, Miranda, or even the next film you make. Is there anything you took away from this process, and this is for all three of you, that you're definitely going to apply the next time you make something? Uh, I guess my main takeaway is, yeah, I, I'm, if I, um, or whenever our, like, our next big set is, um, definitely going to have more people handle logistics. Because uh, that that helps a lot, and every time, you know, <clears throat> that was probably one of the best parts of the shoe was how well organized it was. So, yeah, that would be something that I took away is to have somebody in charge of that kind of stuff. <clears throat> uh, I just just out of necessity, it, it I'm definitely going to uh, like like Miranda, despite this being a like small like like like. In the in the grand scheme of thing, it is a small indie shoot. Like she dumped so much money and so much like effort and and of her own resources that I I just just with my current situation like leaving gra- like like graduating like I just don't have the money to always have such a g- large grandiose set. And so when I have the privilege, yes. But uh, I think just changing the way that I behave and the the way that I will do the multiple roles. Uh, what is the biggest takeaway for me on this set? That's interesting that you mentioned the idea of um, resources and not having, not necessarily having uh, the resources to have a big set or a big crew or what have you. I think that's one of the most special things about specifically where we're located in Winnipeg with the indie scene is there's always somebody willing to help, and they're always just willing to do that. Just give give their time in some capacity. It may not be the capacity you were hoping, but there's, you know, there's always somebody who's willing to help. And I think that's really important um, to find in, in your city. The backbone of this, of the, the, the scene here, the emerging scene here is uh, hot dogs and handshakes. So, and that that's like a metaphor. It, like there aren't actual hot dogs or handshakes. It's mostly just uh it's mostly just like you work hard for other people and 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 ho- like they work hard for you and just making sure that people are fed and like that that part is definitely the backbone of this uh th- this this step in our career. I'll show you my hot dog. Thanks, dude. It's just the chemistry between me and Jamel. It's been slowly adding to the tension of this podcast. Yeah, like being on set so much and then having to be apart for a bit seeing each other occasionally now being on the podcast it's like too much oh yeah yeah. i can't contain it (laughs) so okay i'm just gonna say some stuff to like end the podcast 
um, the biggest thing that I think I can take away from the project, and like I kind of knew this before going into this this project, but I think I confirmed it even more coming out of it, is that if you can convince your team that you know what you're doing and that you have everything figured out on your end, they're way more likely to back you. And, you know, I've always been somebody that, even from being like a kid, being a leader and and bringing those people together and seeing everybody work together so well um, and kind of realizing um, a vision as a team. So in bringing the team together, I feel like um, it was essential that I had my shit figured out. And that's why I did so much prep that were like really essential to making this film what I really thought it could be and that what I needed it to be. Um, I needed them to be convinced that I, you know, that being a part of this film would be worth it on their end. And I think that as a director and as a leader, that's like the most important job that you have is reassuring the team that you got your shit figured out. Um, And so that's what I tried to do on this movie. And that's, I think, being humbled by that in a way, because even though I did all that prep, like there are moments where I still didn't really know what I was doing. But I think at that point, people are kind of behind you that they'll kind of bring you over and they'll say like, nah, you got this. Like we believe in the, we believe in this story and like we believe in you. And so that was just like the best feeling is having that team there. And so I think what I'll take away from this film and what I'll like, I I guess I'll tell people that ever asked me like what the film was like is that just, you know, do your (laughs) pre-production, really do your pre-production and work with people that you love and that you trust. And even if your movie's really really bad in the end, you're going to have a good time making it. (laughs) Completely agree. Just, it's important. Prep is such an important thing. And it's something that um, gets skipped over a lot, especially when you're starting. It's like, oh, I don't need to write this down. I don't need to note this. I can just tell people on the day. But it's so important to have that stuff on paper. Because there's going to be a million things going on on the day. And um, you'll probably forget it at some point if you don't write it down. So Sydney's so. character dies in the end. <laughs> Shut up, Jermel. Uh She gets killed by Jason. You know how he's blind? He has Cyclops eyes and he fucking shoots her with lasers. It's pretty sick. But out of his blind eye, then, not his Cyclops eye. Yeah, and he looks into the camera and he says, The replacement. And then it ends. Because you have to always say the title. It's very he important. Just goes, Got them. <laughs> Got them. Got them, or he just asks Sal. Let's fill the show with inside jokes. Sal's, um, that's it. Sal's. No, there's one earlier <laughs> that I really liked. I forget what it is. Is that the name of the episode, Sal's? Yeah. A postmortem of the replacement. To be fair, <laughs> I feel like should that, we that's ra- stealing should we wrap brand. it up, friends? Yeah. Thanks so much for listening, and I appreciate being able to talk about my movie on the. Thanks yeah. for talking about it. It was fun. Um. Why don't we go around the room and tell everybody where they can find us, starting with uh, Adam. Uh, you can find me, like, I, I'm not too heavy on social media, but you can usually find me, or you can find me at adam.yasinski uh, on Instagram. I just post sort of whatever, usually what I'm getting up to, mostly set stuff and whatever other random stuff I find enjoyable. That's mostly it. And you can find, yeah, you can find me at, uh, I actually don't know what my video is. I was using Jesse's for the longest time. Yeah, just look at my name. It, it's what it is. It's the same thing. It's Adam Yasinski on Vimeo as well. Um, you can find me on uh, 252 Waverly Street. That's where I live. That's actually not his address. <laughs> <laughs> Whose address are you putting in the show? Uh, it's Jesse's house. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you can find me on Vimeo slash Jermail Pasqua. And... Same for Instagram, Twitter, it's Jermel underscore P. Hey guys, you can find me on Instagram at Miranda Morose, and you can also find me on Vimeo, where I post my movies and, you know, video content at Vimeo.com slash Miranda Morose. Nice, and you can find me uh, at Dr. Finkelstein on Twitter. Yes, it's named after the character from The Nightmare Before Christmas. 
Um, uh, Miles Taylor on Vimeo, the Collective Film Productions on YouTube. And you can find us at ATCT Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, I think, is all three of them are the same handle. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for hanging out around the craft table with us today. We hope you all have a great week. Just so you all know, IOU Video Festival is coming up on March 25th, and we are going to be there documenting the whole festival. So if you want to go hang out with us, come to the Park Theatre in Osborne, Winnipeg on March 25th from 7 to 11 p.m. and do a little interview with us, watch some indie films, come hang out, talk about movies. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, it's Miles from the Around the Craft Table team, and you've just heard episode 4, Hot Dogs and Handshakes, a postmortem on Miranda Morrow's new film, The Replacements. This week's episode was executive produced and directed by Miles A. Taylor. It was executive produced and edited by Miranda Morrow's. It featured Miles, Miranda, Jermel Pasqua, and Adam Yusinski as guests. This week's music was all done by DJ Quads. We hope you enjoyed the episode this week and stick around for next week where we're going to do some analysis of some scenes from movies that we really love and would like for you to love as well. Mm-hmm.